By grace, we learn to sing, and in glory, heaven, we continue to sing. See, praise now that you've just done is the rehearsal of our eternal song. I love what Francis Chan said about praise and worship. He said, isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? That whatever you say about God right now, he is more than your words can express. Our language is limiting to an infinite God. I want us to pray. Father, thank you that you have done great and mighty things. And Lord, my language is so limited just to say great and mighty. But God, you go way beyond that. And I ask in these next few moments, you even go way beyond, even Lord God, our expectations today. Father, there are some that are hit rock bottom in some areas, but God, today, you're gonna let them discover something even at rock bottom that they didn't know that was down there. So God, do something special in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, I think you may know this Bible phrase or may even have heard it. You, I want you to finish it if you know it. It goes like this. God inhabits the praises of his people. We know that phrase. Many, many of you heard that. God inhabits the praises of his people. Can we just take for a moment as we begin to look at this passage and see how powerful it is in context. In fact, what it is, it's actually a special praise blessing that's given to us in the book of Psalms. But I have to add one other phrase to it. God inhabits the praise of his people. That's the other one. But there's one other phrase that I think you're going to be familiar with, especially as we're getting ready to go into Easter weekend. And it's this phrase, my God, my God, come on, finish it. Why hast thou forsaken me? Now, where are those words from? Well, that's Jesus's words from Calvary, uttered by Jesus at his darkest moment as he was hanging on the cross, right, right there on Calvary. In fact, I really want to encourage you as we're heading towards Easter week, just, just in, in a few short weeks, that weekend, I want you to join us for the premiere of our, of our movie and our music that's going to come for a three-day Easter weekend that I believe God is going to do some great things. In fact, the original movie is called Three Days Later, and you're going to begin to see from the choir to our worship band an amazing opportunity to, to see what God wants to do that Easter weekend by not just us celebrating the resurrection, but maybe even evangelistically. In fact, I want to really encourage you to go to tsc.nyc forward slash Easter to see maybe of hosting a, a, a watch party, of, of beginning to invite people, or maybe even sending invites on, on your social media for people to watch it even at their, at their own leisure that they can watch that weekend, something very powerful. In fact, next Sunday, Dr. R.T. Kendall is gonna lead us towards that Good Friday service as he is gonna begin to speak on the cross. But let's go back to these two phrases. These two phrases, God inhabits the praises of his people, and my God, my God. Think of those two phrases. God inhabits, my God, my God. And here's what's amazing. These two phrases are connected in the same chapter and have the book of Psalms as their context. Let me show it to you. Because Psalms 22 is how David felt at his lowest and deepest time of despair. It was a Psalm, I want you to think about this, that Jesus chose to quote at his lowest moment. 
You know what's remarkable? Of the 2,461 verses just in the book of Psalms, Jesus chooses this one, Psalms 22, verses 1 and 2, to articulate his pain from his from the cross. The, 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 the longest deep sea dive in a vessel was done some decades ago. In fact, it was done by Jacques Picard as an, an U.S. Navy Lieutenant Don Walsh that they began to take a vessel, I want you to hear this, over 35,000 feet down in the Pacific Ocean. That To help you, that is 120 football fields, seven miles down. They went to a place that had 15,000 pounds of water pressure per square inch. And if there was a serious breach of the vessel, it was Jacques Picard that said this. He said, we would have been dead before we would have known we were dead. And there were things down there, seven miles down, that they discovered that they never would have known at the surface. And these kind of depths, those kind of pressure, it was David was going through in Psalm 22, and it started to reveal something in that deep dive for David that he's never known before. See, Psalm 22, one through two, is not only David's deep dive, it was the deep dive that even Jesus was crying out. Listen to these words, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? These are cross words. And these are David's words. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Listen to the rest of what David says. Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice and I find no relief. This is amazing. This is deep dive. This is going, going to a place where the pressure is so intense that it's beginning to push in. In fact, Jacques Picard said that the pressure was so much they would hear the, 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 the steel on their vessel beginning to start to crush as you're seven miles down. You've been there emotionally. You've been there spiritually. This is David's deep dive. This is Jesus's deep dive that he goes down. And then all of a sudden, the discovery. Verses one and two is the deep dive, but verse three is the discovery. And this just popped off the page to me. And I'm going, yes, God, what a discovery. And David says this, yet, such an important word, that conjunction changes the whole atmosphere. Yet, you are holy and inhabit the praises of your people. Did you see the two phrases? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and God inhabits the praises of his people. Think of that phrase again. Yet you are holy. Those transitional words began to come alive to me. In fact, it is a pronouncement of who God is regardless of what David was facing. Or another way to say it, it, it it's, it's this. It is yet is regardless of what is going on, despite everything that is happening and changing around me, David was saying, you are the same and you remain holy. He was saying when you hit your deep dive, he said, there is a discovery of praise down in the depths that you may not have known before. You've known it in the seats. You've known it in the church. You've known it with a choir. You've known it, you've known it with, with uh, the music that comes from a stage. But have you ever known the worship? Have you ever known the praise on a deep dive when you hit rock bottom, when you hit the lowest point that comes? See, what David was saying was this, my changing circumstances 
doesn't change you. That's the yet you are holy. My changing circumstances don't change you. In fact, God, you remain the same, even though my life, my world, and my surroundings are changing. In fact, the the big theological word that's used is immutability. It's a theological word which means God doesn't change. He always remains the same. In fact, that's what Malachi says. The prophet Malachi says it like this. God is speaking, I am the Lord and I do not change. That's despite the yet how I feel, God is still the same. You don't change God, though everything around me is falling apart. And if I can praise you during that time, the deep dive, the pressure coming in, God, you inhabit, boy, this is such a big word. You inhabit those kind of praises. It's not just inhabit music praises or inhabit church praises. There's something important here because this is deep dive praise. It's the praise that goes up when your life seems to be going in the down. And it's a different kind of praise that God begins to take notice of. God says, look for me in that worship service when you're finding something at the bottom to still lift me up and say, God, you don't change. Yet, Psalm 22.3, you are holy. It's Pastor David Jeremiah who says it like this, praise is where God lives. It is his permanent address. He is at home in praise and he manifests himself best as God in praise. And I, I believe that what Dr. David Jeremiah says, but I believe it a little bit more that says, God is at his best when it's deep dive praise, when we're at the lowest. You inhabit the praises of your people. The praises that David is talking about is when your lips are saying at the same time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out all night and I don't even hear your voice. And out of the same mouth, the same time, the same night, he's announcing to God, yet you are holy. You are God and you change not. God was saying, when you praise in those conditions, I not only show up, I hang out with you at that point. In fact, that's what the Hebrew word um, inhabit actually means. It means to sit down, recline, and relax. God is saying, I find myself wanting to sit with you, listen, and take it all in and enjoy it with you. Or I could say it this way, when you praise in the dark, God draws close and stays along. Let me say those words again. <clears throat> when you praise him in the dark, deep dive, God draws close and stays long. Or as one person, he said it like this, he shows up, God shows up in his fullness when you praise him from your emptiness because that is when you truly have room for him. Boy, that's powerful. See, here's the part that I want you to get. God always recognizes songs sung by saints on earth. Pastor Tim, why? Why is that? Why? Because these are different from the songs that he hears 24-7 for eternity in heaven with angels. This is, this is so important for us to get. See, the songs that are sung by the angels are not the same as the songs of the redeemed. Angel songs and, re and the redeemed, you and me, they're just not the same. See, he always knows the song of the redeemed because it sounds different than the cherubims and the seraphims that are pronouncing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That chorus in heaven, 
that God the Father, Jesus the Lamb of God, hears every single moment of every single day. He hears that. But the redeemed song is different. Why? Because the redeemed can sing with pain. This is deep dive stuff. The angels only sing from seeing the glory of God. See, the redeemed can sing songs with cancer in their body. The redeemed can sing songs when an unsaved spouse is next to them in bed. And, and literally, it has been a difficult week with them. The redeemed can sing praises on a deep dive when there's job insecurity. The, the redeemed can sing songs when there's a wayward child and it's a deep dive and you're going, I found at the very bottom that there is a praise that God is still holy. See, the redeemed can begin to sing when a child is caught even in addiction. When the songs were sung today, they lifted their hands and said, my life is in trouble, but you're still the same. That's what some of you did from your living room. That's what some of you did with, the, with your iPad out and you're looking at that and going, like all around me, all around this house represents some difficulty, but I'm still able to say, yet you are holy. Or as one person said it like this, when we lift our voice to, to worship Jesus, the devil loses his voice. That's exactly what was happening. See, even now, think about it. Both as a church, as a city right here in New York City and even in places around the world, we're in a season of deep dive. We're in a season of praise in spite of what I'm going through, going through. We're in a season of yet you are holy praise around the world. It's praising God in the dark. See, the church doors are locked and closed. The sanctuary is not open. It's dark outside. It's a deep dive for, for globally. And yet we can still worship him. And yet he is still holy. These are the songs we are singing now. Singing about a steady God when everything around me is unsteady. I love what one person said. I've heard, they said this. He says, there are two times to praise the Lord. And he said this, when you feel like it and when you don't. Any other time, you don't have to praise him. Well, basically what that means is David said it like this. Psalm 34, one, I will bless the Lord. You know the rest at all times. Whether I'm in a church service and the doors are opened here after, after a long closing here because of a pandemic, or even when they're shut, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is such a good moment wherever you're at, just to lift your hands and say, yet you are holy. Despite what I'm going through, you are steady. What I was reading through the Bible and realizing there was one man that wasn't able to do it on his deep dive. And the reason why he couldn't do it is because he forgot something that, that David didn't forget. And even Jesus didn't forget. And it was Jacob. Jacob in the book of Genesis at his darkest moment, at his deep dive moment, couldn't give that kind of praise. See, Jacob's lowest time is in the middle of a famine <clears throat> and his children are going back and forth into Egypt. And he thought one, he, he thought of his children. He thinks Joseph is dead, his, his, his youngest. He thinks Simeon is in captivity and probably dead in the hands of some Egyptian ruler, prime minister. And now his boys want to take Benjamin back, his youngest, to Egypt. And then Jacob says these words in his deep dive. It wasn't praise. And I'm going to tell you why he couldn't do that, why he couldn't get to verse 3. It says in Genesis 42, 36, their father Jacob said to them, here is Jacob's words in his deepest, in his, in his lowest moment, you've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And would take Benjamin all, here, here's this last phrase, 
Instead of, instead of it being a yet, God is still gonna help us. It was all these things are against me. Let me say those words again. Listen to them. All these things are against me. That's what he says at the bottom. Nothing, Jacob, could be further from the truth. See, Jacob had no idea that what he was facing was literally being scripted for rescue and a reunion. That was actually a dark time in their dark time was being orchestrated to get the family back together, to rescue them from famine and to bring a reunion of the family. All these things are against me, Jacob? Mm -mm. In actuality, your son Joseph is on the throne and directing this reunion. He has no idea Joseph is on on the throne. What a misinterpretation, Jacob, because Jacob didn't know who was controlling and who was on the throne. His son Joseph was on the throne. That's what makes the book of Acts so critical, even in this time. See, denominations will skip the ascension in Acts 1 to get to the gifts in Acts 2, but I need Acts 1 for my deep dives and to make it in life. We need to know why Acts 1, the ascension of Jesus going to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father is so important. What's so important about it is we have Jesus on the throne like Joseph was in the book of Genesis scripting our story. All these things could be against us? Mm Mm-mm. I've got Jesus on the throne. He's scripting everything. That's what makes one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the Old Testament, in a deep dive moment for the prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah 50, and I want you to listen to a man that feels like he's doing everything right, but comes down all the way, his seven-mile dive all the way down. He says this, listen to Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you, listen to these phrases, that fears the Lord, obeys the His voice, here it comes, deep dive, walks in darkness and has no light. And then he says this, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. He found something. Isaiah found something on the bottom. I will trust in you, God. I will rely upon you. I've walked with you. I feared you. I've obeyed you. But right now, there seems to be darkness. And this is what makes this so powerful and so amazing for us. That David was able to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then end up with, yet you are holy. You know, I wanna finish here by telling you about another yet. It's found in the New Testament. I wanna go from David's yet, his conjunction, to Paul's in Romans chapter eight. See, the apostle Paul has one of these yet moments in Romans eight much like David's yet, Psalm 22, three. Let me read it to you. This is Romans 8, 35. And I'm gonna read down a few verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, it just gets, it's almost like the deep dive gets lower and lower. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He keeps crying out. He says, as it is written, and here's the bottom. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep sheep for the slaughter. And then all of a sudden, here it comes, folks. Verse 37. Yet in all these things. What things is it, Paul? 
I'm talking about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. Yet, in all those things, Paul gives these words, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow, let me read those again. Yet, in all these things, all the deep dive stuff, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love those words. In fact, I want you to just, just to get this down because I think there's two things about the words more than conquerors that stand out to me. Let me give you the first one. Number one, this verse comes before verse 36. And some of you may be going like, well, obviously, but I want you to notice the words that come right before it. Here it is. Notice these words. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, Pastor Tim, what are you getting to? You know what he was telling them? He's saying, you're sheep, yet you're more than conquerors. The sheep that are more than conquerors? Wow, that doesn't even seem to go together. Conquering sheep? How silly. Not if you have Jesus as your shepherd. See, the image of sheep overcoming and conquering an enemy is laughable because sheep have no defense system. Do you know the defense system of a sheep? It's the shepherd. They have, no, they have no ability to fight off an enemy. Fighting sheep is impossible, but it's not because of the sheep. We conquer because of the shepherd. That's what makes us so more than conquerors. Why? Because of the shepherd. Not because you have some violent sheep. It's because you have a great shepherd. That's what this is about. But the one that really gets me is the second thing about this phrase. Paul literally made up a Greek word at that time that never existed more than conquerors. See, it's actually one word, even though in the English language, it's three words. And Paul saw the Christian victory so amazing that he had to make up a word that didn't even exist in the Greek. See, that Greek word for more than conquerors is hupernikau, a word that, that starts off with the word that we would spell it as Nike, N-I-K-E. That's a Greek word, kind of sounds like footwear. It's a, it's a victory word. Nikau is the Greek word, but then Paul added hooper to it. He adds this, this prefix, which basically kind of means super. It's, it, it, it's like you saying, I'm super hungry or I'm super scared or something is super duper or they are super rich or super fast. Those words don't actually exist is what Paul was saying. And he says, when you go through all these kind of things, he said, I had to make up a word for more than conquerors. What, why, why would you do that, Paul? Because yet in all those things, in your deep dive, when you're at your lowest moment, no matter who you are as a single parent that seems to be at the edge, or whether you're, you're, a, you're a, 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 a man that's going, man, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get married. The loneliness is hitting. All those things are against you. And Paul says, Paul says, I got a word for you, more than conquerors, that you can get to sing during this time. You can praise down there. Paul was saying, I see more than conquerors. I see people that know how to praise in the dark, singing in the dark. Singing at the bottom is what it is. That's what praising in the dark can do. There is a phrase that I would hear growing up, and I'm gonna give you the origin of it. It's this phrase. Elvis has left the building. December 15th, 1956, 
were the first times those, those words were actually uttered in Shreveport, Louisiana. Elvis has left the building. Do you know why the announcer said that? Because people wouldn't leave the building. They were waiting for another encore. They were so enthralled with this, with this recording artist that people wouldn't leave the building hoping Elvis would come back. And they stood there for, for, for an hour waiting for him to come back, do one more, do one more thing, one more song, one more, one more encore. The phrase meant Elvis left, he's not coming back, so you might as well go home. There are no more encores. I wanna give you some hope today on your deep dive. You can never say that about God. When everything is shut down, God is into encores. When everything seems to be darkened and everybody else is going like, where is God? Just because, just because it seems like there may be defeat in your life doesn't mean God has left the building. In fact, God hasn't left the building. Let me tell you why. God has never left the building because God was never in the building. That's Acts 7.48. I don't dwell in buildings made by hands. He doesn't dwell in the physical building called Times Square Church or in your church. In fact, the Bible says that the heavens can't even contain him. He is among us right now. And can I give you some encouragement? Doing encores in all of our lives. That's why the deep dive praise just goes, yet you are holy. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. This is what is absolutely amazing. So when the wind blows and the storms come and it seems like you're getting lower and lower and getting ready to hit bottom, one of, one of my favorite hymns always comes to mind when I'm hitting my deep dive. My hope is built on nothing less. During these dark times, during your dark times, I wanna just read to you some of these verses and in fact, I want you to hold on because really at the end, Freddie and the team are gonna lead us in this song. Once we finish praying and saying amen, and those who have made a decision to walk with God, to be born again, don't, don't just click off. Don't click off after the born again part because we're gonna go back into a deep dive praise. We're gonna praise him in the dark. We're gonna praise him with this song. But my hope is built is so important. Listen to the verses. Verse two says it like this. When darkness seems to hide his face. Man, that sounds like Psalm 22. That sounds like Isaiah 50. That sounds like Jacob in, in the book of Genesis. When darkness seems to hide his face, here it comes, here comes the yet part. I rest on his unchanging grace. Deep dive in every high and stormy gale. Hallelujah, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But then there's verse three that I want to just give to you. Listen to verse three. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And then there's verse one that I don't want you to miss. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now here's the part, stay with me. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Hold on to that phrase. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What, is, what does that phrase 
sweetest frame mean? We, we, we get this from a person's frame of mind. It's an, it's an attitude that, we, that we're talking about here. And what the writer of the song was saying is you can't, because of a frame of mind, a frame of emotions, he says, you can't lean on our emotions in good or bad times, but you can lean on Jesus's name. Let, let me just say a few things that when darkness seems to hide his face and when you want to believe, but you don't see him, when all of a sudden you're seven miles down at rock bottom, this is what I've learned in the dark. Let me just give you really, really quick. One, let God define God in those times. The best place to go in dark times is the word of God, not your own mind, not through the accusations that are happening. Some, some have believed ourselves and not even what God says. And, and, and we misdefine who God is because of a frame of mind. And he says, even your sweetest frame, the, the writer of the song says, don't trust that. Holy lean on Jesus' name. Number two, you will see things you've never seen before when it's dark outside. There are things you can't see in the sunlight physically that you can only see every night when God turns out the lights and sends the moon out and the stars. When God turns the lights off on our planet, look for stars. And finally, follow the tracks of the past when it gets dark. You, you know, New York here has faced some of the, um, in a long time, this, this winter, I think it's been almost 38, 39 inches of snow have come. And I've grown up in New York and, and spent almost 30 years in Detroit and back here in New York. There's some people that have never heard of a whiteout. Some of you have. Um, it's, it's a winter word, which means you can't see anything in front of you. It means wind and snow are all at its top uh, velocity and there's no visibility there and you don't know where to go. And if, I've, if you've ever driven in a whiteout, the only way to drive, I've been on highways in a whiteout. I've been on streets in a whiteout. And the only thing you can do is follow the tracks, the car tracks ahead of you. And I'm telling you, your storm is gonna have tracks there that have been laid out in front of you. Tracks of the past, tracks of something and someone who has gone before you. Follow those tracks because from the dark clouds, we will get precious water. From dark mines in the, in, the, in, the, in the ground, we get precious stones. And from our darkest trials comes our best praise to God. This is, this is a special moment where God is taking praise to a brand new place for us, a brand new level, maybe that we've never been before. In fact, let me take you to that place this morning as you're going lower and your mouth is going, my God, my God, why, has you, 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 why have you forsaken me? Let me get you up higher when you're going through your dark time. One of the most powerful chapters in the book of Psalms, ready for this? That all of us know comes right after Psalm 22. You know it to be Psalm 23. And there's a deep dive moment there that David, I think from his yet you are holy, man, he gets it when he gets to this incredible Psalm. You know that Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's that one verse, verse four. And it says this, even though, you could put a yet there, a Romans eight yet and a Psalm 22 yet, even though I walk through the valley 
the shadow of death. I'm down low, seven miles down. I will fear no evil. Hear the words, for you are with me. That's really the question today. Because I can tell you this, when I go through those deep dive moments, I know he's with me. I don't have to fear evil. I don't have to fear man. I don't have to fear consequence. I don't, I don't have to fear accusation. And I don't even have to fear even, even intimidation from man. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Deep dive and a discovery, you are with me, God. But there are people that are listening today that maybe someone has sent you this link. Maybe you're listening to this on a Sunday that you've, you've found Times Square Church. But maybe you're not able to say, you are with me, for you are with me. Because for you are with me means it's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. Only those who have a relationship with God can say, you can shut the doors of the church, but you're with me. We haven't met in a year, but you're with me. I, I, I'm, I'm going through a harsh divorce, but you're with me. My kids won't even talk to me, but God, I believe that you're with me. The diagnosis, God, seems that you're so far. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? But yet you are holy. You're with me. You're with me. Pastor Tim, how can I know that today? How can I know that God is with me today? How can I come to that place to know that God is with me? It's by having a relationship with him. Now remember, I want, I, I want to talk to you about how God will be with you by coming inside of you. But I, when we finish praying, don't turn this off because we're going to go ahead and, and do a deep dive praise. We're going to praise him in the dark today. We're, in fact, we're going to sing that song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. But I'm so interested right now for those that can't say with confidence, you are with me, God. That, that phrase is a relationship word. And Jesus describes your relationship with him, not as a religion, but he describes it as a relationship. And the words that he uses in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5, and it's these words, you must be born again. Boy, that's such an important phrase. Because when you're asking the question, how do I know God is with me? You have to be born again. How do I know I'm going to heaven? You have to be born again. How do I know um, that God is with me in a deep dive? You have to be born again. Well, Pastor Tim, the biggest question is, how do, I, how do I know I'm born again? Because if I was to ask you the question, let's, let's take the ultimate question. How do I know I'm going to heaven? And if you were to start with, well, I've been water baptized or I've, I've taken communion with Pastor Carter on Tuesday nights or I've gone to church or I've, I'm a good person. All those are great things. That, that's not what Jesus said. In fact, jo Jesus says in John 3, 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. So that's why we have to define what born again is. Because what Jesus is saying is this, just as you've had a first birth, you need a second birth. You were born the first time physically, but you need to be born the second time spiritually. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? Well, I can spell it out for you this way. It's as simple as A, B, C. It's those three letters leads us right to the place of a relationship that in our deep dive moments, we can say, you are with me. You are with me. A is in admitting I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us, starting with me, have a condition called sin. And it can't be fixed with a promise, a priest, a pastor, a program. We need help to fix this. That I'm broken on the inside. And the diagnosis is sin. And I have to come clean and say, I am a sinner. I'm not a mistaker who just needs some correcting. And I'm, but I'm a sinner in need of a savior. 
Or as one person said, we don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. How does that happen? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. The next couple weeks as we move towards Easter and the cross, and next week R.T. Kendall talks about why Jesus died on that cross. And then as you start to see on Good Friday night and Saturday and Sunday leading towards the resurrection, you start to realize God sent his son because we couldn't fix ourselves. If we could fix ourselves and God putting his son through that suffering that we are going to begin to celebrate a communion together that commemorates his suffering. That would be the ultimate case of child abuse. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to die on the cross for me. But Jesus did die on the cross, but he didn't just die. He died for me to become my sin bearer. He died the death that I should have died, lived the life I couldn't live, and gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness I didn't even deserve. And finally, the C word is confess confessing Jesus as Lord. Jesus, God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross just to simply get people inside of a church building or to watch a, 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 a something on a computer, a church service on a computer for an hour. God's goal was not to get you to church. God's goal was to get you to heaven. Coming simply to church on a Sunday is a religion. Being born again is a relationship. It happens every day. God doesn't just want Sundays. He wants every day. And that's why Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that we're, we are, when we come to him, we're not coming to a place. We're coming to a person. And that person is Lord, in charge, the boss, confessing him as Lord. And this is where God wants to do that work inside of you. And that can happen right now. You can say on every deep dive Monday, every deep dive weekend, Every time you're facing one of those moments, like David says in Psalm 22, like Jacob talked about, like Isaiah spoke of, Paul speaks about in Romans 8, yet you are with me. God is with me. Today, that relationship can have a beginning place. It could start today. You can be born again. Wherever you're at, wherever you are right now, around New York City, around this country, even around the world, if you're by yourself, and this is part of your deep dive and you're seven miles down, man, the greatest thing you can do is pray while, you're, while, you're, while your feet are touching bottom. And God goes, I will be there with you. If you want to be born again today, I want you to pray a prayer with me. Come on. Maybe you're going to pray it as a family. Maybe even as a couple. Maybe as a student at the university that you're at. But would you pray this prayer to say, God, I need you in my life. I need a relationship with you. I don't simply need a church I need God. Because with the doors closed, the church can't walk the bottom of those floors with you. With the pressure, 15,000 pounds of water per cubic inch, only God can do that, keep you in those times. Okay, pastor, then I want that relationship. And pray this with me today. Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my father. 
Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great beginning and what a brand new journey for you. In fact, you've made the greatest decision of your life. And that's why every single Sunday, if you've prayed this prayer, I want to challenge you today today, to text that word because of what you just did. Just text the word decided, D-E-C-I-D-E-D, to 51,000, 51,000, decided to 51,000. And we want to begin to help you on your next steps on this journey. I made you a promise that I want to take those that have just been born again and those that understand deep dive, that are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that are walking seven miles under, that are in Psalm 22, but are ready to do some Psalm 22, three, yet you are holy praise, praising in the dark. I want you to join with our team as they're gonna lead us in that great hymn that we talked about, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.